welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. So could you tell, uh, I'm sure everyone knows who you are and not who I am, but could you go ahead and tell, just give a reminder to everyone of who you are real quick? Yeah. Uh, I'm Megan from Too Cool for Middle School, and I just kind of have a teaching slash lifestyle slash encouragement YouTube channel, and I had a blog at one point that I just never update anymore, and um, my Instagram I update pretty often, so I feel like I've been able to connect with a lot of the subscribers and other teachers out there, so I probably probably know you, whoever you are out there. You You are really good at updating your Instagram, so I went on yesterday to find a picture for the thumbnail for YouTube. And I was like, there's so much stuff. I'm like, there's like tons and tons and tons of pictures on there, which I think is great. I mean, I try to be diligent about that as well, but like, then I'll run into someone like you who's like far more diligent than I am. I'm addicted to uploading the baby pictures, so. You have a lot more outfits than I do too. I feel like everyone would realize that Reynolds has about five shirts and they'd be like, we saw that one already, so. Cool. So what we were, I was telling everyone as we were waiting that what we talked about yesterday was this idea of making your teaching relevant. And we talked about a whole bunch of stuff uh, around that. Um, so what's something that you do or a problem that you see or your thoughts on like making teaching relevant for your students? And then I figured we could just jump in and people could ask questions about that and stuff. Yeah. So since, um, you know, both of us teach secondary school. I, I taught high school at one point and now um, I teach sixth grade and eighth grade. And so I feel like that's a much better way to get students excited about writing is to kind of bring in current events or things that are really going on and that helps them just to connect to the material a lot better. Um, and so also like when I see things in real life that either like concern me or interest me, then I always want to bring that into my classroom. So um, I feel like people have been very vocal lately, just, you know, with a lot of opinions and trying to convince people of things, usually like political things, people try and make arguments and convince other people, which I love. I I love when there's discourse. Um, But I just see a lot of flaws in people's like reasoning and in their um, evidence and in, in the way that they like source things and there's a, there is some you know fake news out there and stuff. So I've tried to bring that into my classroom um, and use real life examples of people um, trying to convince people of things using evidence and using arguments. And um, I just want my middle schoolers to be better at it than some of the people that I see in real life sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> I'm absolutely. Trying to do that again this year. Yeah. So what's can you think of something that came up last year that like you addressed and maybe like how you tried to address it? Yeah, we did a whole fake news unit actually. And that really? was really fun. So um, if you guys are like on your computer and you could open another window, um, I used a lot of sources from reading like a historian. And so they had like this whole lesson plan just ready to go. You could just print it out about fake news. And so I just subscribed to yeah. them um, like emails and then they, they sent me that one day and I was like, yes, I would love to do that. Um, and then we also looked for text sets on Newzella. I also love Newzella on fake news and we just kind of combined those things together. 
different. Um, and it was a really, really good like discussion. We kind of looked at like the history of fake news. Like this is not a new phenomenon. Like people have like politicians, especially all the way back to like Benjamin Franklin have been putting out fake stories to try and like smear each other for a long time. Yeah. And uh, we just, I had like groups of students kind of each study a different facet of it and then report out. Um, and some of it was just as simple as like how to spot it and how to make sure not to perpetuate it. And so they loved that. And I just kept telling, you know, you just kind of like build up your students. Like I just kind of kept telling them like, you guys need to be smarter than my Facebook friends. Come on, come on. You guys got to do better, <laughs> do better than yeah. we do. Like this next generation, you guys need to be good at this. So uh, they really loved it. And I learned a lot through teaching them. So <laughs> Is there ever any pushback from your school when you do political, like when you talk about politics in class? I know some teachers feel like they're really nervous to talk about certain things and um, because they're afraid they're going to get pushed back from administration. Do you get any of that stuff? or You probably should be a little bit nervous to talk about too much political stuff. That That is a good yeah. instinct to have. Um, yeah, as a teacher, I don't think it's ever a good idea to, to say like, this is the correct opinion to have. Um, I think some teachers may, you know, say this is my opinion, you don't have to agree with it, but I just recognize that my kids are so impressionable. Like what I, what I say to sixth graders, they kind of think is like the gospel truth. Like they believe everything I say. I tell them all kinds of crazy stuff that they believe and they don't, I didn't realize they don't know I'm kidding. So I try to be super careful with that. In, in high school, it's a little bit different there, you know, a little, a little more understanding of those things. So in yeah. the younger grades... I wouldn't even tell them your opinion, but um, bringing up the actual issues, I think is totally great. And I know that I did talk to my administration about it a little bit. Um, my principal totally supported it. She loved it. Um, she likes to see the kids getting politically involved and just like understanding the world around them. So pushing an agenda, I think is different than just bringing in current events. Yeah, I think that's a really good point in terms of like the younger the kids are. I, I am really sarcastic and that's kind of one of the ways that like I, that's one of my classroom management tools. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm doing that, I do have to be mindful that like everyone knows because some kids don't pick up on sarcasm or they didn't grow up with it. And I'm like, oh, you really thought that was true about me, huh? And, and also I think another point you brought up was like, talking to administration if you are at all nervous about something. And I try to really leave my views out completely as much as I can. And I'm, I'm very open with my students about a lot of things that I either believe in or that I, um, or that like interest me. Mm -hmm. But when we're having a conversation, what I want to do is like facilitate the conversation and not necessarily be a part of the argument because sometimes especially if a kid really likes you or dislikes you, they're going to either agree or disagree immediately or, or make yeah. their mind up about you or about the situation. Because if someone doesn't like me or if they're angry at me that day and I say, yeah, I'm, I'm pro this, they're going to be like, nah, I hate that now. Yeah. I think that's the stupidest thing ever. Yes. And in my class, I try to create a, a space where anything can be talked about. Right. So I teach at a primarily African American school and over the last few years, you and I talked a little bit about this last night, but um, we talked about uh, the kids kept coming in whenever there was a case of like police brutality or that that sort of news was 
was being was running on television that night. They would come in the next day and they'd say, did you see this, Reynolds? What do you think about this? I can't believe they're doing this. And so what, one of the things I, I, I did with a lot of those topics was kind of slow kids down and say, well, let's, let's talk about it. Like, let's have a real, figure out like a real argument because you'd have kids that fell on both sides of that argument of whether or not like it was the police's fault or if it was the individual's fault or... Or, uh, they weren't even supposed to be there at the time and and arguments yeah. that didn't really have a good basis and it was about trying to get kids to a really really listen to one another like before you go into an argument right this is good life advice everyone too like if you, you want to be married for a while you have to actually listen to the other person and then we would do this skill where like you had to repeat back to someone what they said so I not only am listening to you, but I have to say, okay, so what you're saying is this, and then I can refute it. With as go, much, you said you have police, and they're like, no, that isn't what I yeah, said. Exactly. Because <laughs> I sometimes, said was, that's just what yeah. you hear. We all, and we all know, and I just kind of did this, what you want to say next instead of listening to, like you'll hear the first moment of someone's argument, and then we stop. And it's like, oh, no, I'm already pissed. I'm ready to just fight. And it's like, no, you have to stop and really listen to the whole thing. And I'm going to make sure you did because if you can't repeat back what they said, you don't get the answer. And then that begins a really good conversation. And it, okay. it's a lot healthier yeah, like than just like going back and forth. I did have a little bit of parent pushback. I'll just share what happened just, you know, so sure. that people get, you know, because usually like if you have like uh, – if things when you mess up, you don't really talk about it. And then people think they're the only one that's ever messed up. So um, we did a civil rights reading unit in my sixth grade class this year. And we did it like during Black History Month. And it was amazing. It's from Hubbard's Cupboard on Teachers Pay Teachers, if you're interested oh, yeah, in that yeah. resource. It was excellent. Um, and it took maybe like two weeks. And it was one of, one of the readings was about um, the March on Washington. Dr. King led and they were really really interested in this topic and it was going great and then it just happened to fall um, on the the weekend like of the women's march was when we were doing that unit so okay. that Monday a few of my kids went to the women's march in LA really nearby and so then it kind of you know I, I think that went perfectly with our unit because we were talking about marches like do they accomplish anything you get attention what changes and you know um, can we make any comparisons between what happened then and now and a lot of the kids didn't know what the women's march was though I have sixth graders so you know they're they're 11 or 12 and some of them were like what is that and so I said um, there were a lot of women that were upset about things that Donald Trump said and so they marched in protest. He doesn't, um, they don't think that he respects women. And so a yeah. student did raise her hand and I actually, I respected her so much for this. I thought this was amazing. And she said, my dad said that that was a really long time ago and that those comments don't matter anymore. And I was like, thank you for speaking up because 99% of the kids were like, yeah, you know, just believing everything coming out of my mouth. And I was so glad. I'm like, thank you for bringing up the other side of that. Cause yes, there are plenty of people clearly that it didn't bother. A lot of people were not bothered, but yep. the people who were bothered, they marched. And so my principal told me later, she was like, I did get an email from a dad that said, um, his daughter's teacher said that Donald Trump doesn't respect women. <laughs> and um, she was like, hey, 
that's just kind of a fact. <laughs> but she was like, I'm like, I didn't say that. I just said that people marched because that's what they thought. And she was like, I know, I know. So she was not upset at all. But even, even in that, like a lot of kids got confused. Like they're thinking that that's my opinion when it's not necessarily, I was just saying it was other people's opinion. So it gets, it gets murky quickly if you have younger kids. Yeah. And, and so the, my, one of my ways out of that is by having, let the, letting the kids have the argument. And, and part of the reason I really think that's so important is when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, no one's asking what your opinion is probably, right? Like I remember feeling like a teenager and all the adults would be sitting at the dinner table after dinner and they're talking about stuff and no one ever said, hey, CJ, what do you think about this? And so I try and give my guys, and I teach all boys. So if you've not watched me before, like that's, I use all guys. I say guys all the time. Yeah. I'm not trying to For a minute, I was like, where are the girls? But then I remember. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't exist in my school. So um, they, so my my guys are in class and I try to purposefully ask their opinion about all kinds of stuff because I want them to get used to like voicing how they feel about stuff and trying to get comfortable. And, and if I can make my class a safe space to do that, then I think it's really great. And so we have kids of all different like backgrounds, all that come from different parts of the city. Their parents are, some of them are together. Some of them aren't. Some of kids have lived in foster care. Like there's all this, there's such a variety. And I don't think number one, they see that variety because like, Everyone kind of looks the same, so maybe we all are the same. But once you start going through that stuff and really getting uh, deep, it provides a great place to like connect to a book or an article or have a really great argument or learn something about someone that's different than you. And I just think that's like that's where you're supposed to be in school, right? Is like creating this place of like uh, of curiosity and learning from other people your kids probably need to talk about those things. Like it's going to be hard for them to concentrate on like Othello or whatever you were going to try and teach that day. Yeah. If they don't get to process those things a little bit, if you know, they're hitting really close to home. So it's, I mean, I think it's going to be useful to process that a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, to take that even a step further, like if I do get a parent call, it's like, well, I didn't say anything. I, I merely provided a safe place for curiosity yeah. to yeah. blossom. And uh, so one of the books that we read every year is a book called uh, Persepolis. And Persepolis is um, about a little girl who grows up in Iran during the um, Iranian war. And, and that brings up a lot of stuff because they talk about like uh, the Muslim religion is really big in that. So some kids are like, wait a minute. Now I'm not allowed to talk about this stuff or I'm, I feel uncomfortable talking about this yeah. stuff. And it's like, well, good, because we're going to talk about it a lot and we're going to, we're going to pull from all sides and, and just so that you're a more informed human being without me. I mean, it's, it's pretty much impossible to not like not impose any of your views indirectly, maybe even, but I mean, I do try my best to like make it a kid centered argument. Um, like I, I just saw someone that said they taught American history. I'm trying to like not, Keep looking back and forth, but oh, no, no, no. Go for it. every year, except for this year, I've taught us history. And so that's eighth graders in California. And, um, in the past I worked at schools just with less parent complaints. Like I probably wasn't going to get any parent complaints. So, yes. um, we could go a little bit deeper into some of the issues, um, 
of American history. It's very problematic. And so I would tell students a lot of time, like they would raise their hand and they'd be like, that's racist. And I'm like, yes, it is. That's why we're talking about this. Or they would be like, that's offensive. I'm like, I know you should be offended. This is an offensive thing. So, um, (laughs) you know, in some cases, like that's uncomfortable to talk about the Muslim religion. Okay. Good. Now let's like work through that. Like that's okay to acknowledge that it's uncomfortable or offensive or racist. Things are. That's real life. So let's talk about it and you know talk about it responsibly and kindly. But don't avoid everything uncomfortable. With U.S. history, there's literally no way to teach it without having racist or offensive content. It's gonna happen. I tell them that on the first day. (laughs) Yeah, and I I mean, and as long as I feel like I preface things, so. Again, I am the 40-year-old white man standing in front of a room of like all children of color and having a conversation even in, so we read Merchant of Venice every year and in Merchant of Venice, there's a scene where this prince that shows up, he's the only black character in the whole book and he just completely gets dogged because of what he looks like and, and it's like supposed to be comic relief in the book. Like it's hilarious and I, 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 so I tell them, we're going to read something slightly uncomfortable today, but I'm not going to tell you what you is. I want to, what, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want to see if you pick up. And then as we're reading, they're like, wait a minute, this is, this is wrong. And I'm like, oh yes, you got it. And so we talk about, that gives a lot of space to talk about those sort of things. And like, did Shakespeare mean to do that? Did he not mean to do that? Was it like, what was he trying to say through this? And I just, I love those conversations because I think that's the stuff when the kid that's asleep in the back of the room wakes up because, oh, we're talking about things that piss people off, then I'm in on this conversation. And Mm -hmm. it makes it a far more exciting platform um, than to just talk about like, oh, we all agree on the same thing. Like, what is this? It's not Fahrenheit 451 we're living in. Like, let's like actually live this stuff and and talk it out and stuff because we're, we're, I mean, we're here anyway. So Um, so let's jump into some questions. No, go ahead read um the hate you give i've not yet i got i've got a free copy just before the year ended and it's on my summer reading list and i see everyone posting pictures of it so that's definitely one that your kids might have they might be reading it over the summer or they'll definitely connect to because it is about police brutality and it's really well done and it's at their level i'm sure like it's it's accessible and yeah. just it's really good so I, I think a lot of teachers have been reading that and it's it's a good thing for teachers to read I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I have it I, literally on my bookshelf over here. But uh, it was the author came to our public library in Philadelphia last year, and we were supposed to go and meet her and get free books and stuff. And then it was like the one snow day that we had last year that, and then it didn't even snow. So we were like, "You gotta be kidding me!" They canceled this like for no reason, and it didn't even snow. Um, oh, I hope they get copies because it's I think it's a really like powerful and like healing book. They don't maybe often see like their voice in literature, but they will in this book. Yeah. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out then. And uh, if anyone's watching all of the things that are being brought up, I'm trying to note them and then we'll leave them in the description box below. So any resources that you hear or anything like that, we'll try and make those available to everyone as they're watching. Um, So want to jump into some questions? Yeah. Sound good. Cool. So Tanya, Tanya, if you've watched this before, you know, I can't say anyone's name. So I apologize in advance. Like Tanya Munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. 
Tom I'm Yeh. currently applying for English positions in SoCal, and I wanted to uh, and I want to stand out. What can I do to make this happen? What What would you do if you wanted? I mean, what did you do when you wanted a teaching position in Southern California? Oh, English positions in SoCal, man, it's it's or so difficult. A dime a dozen everywhere you go. So, um, I know someone named Tanya Munoz that lives in Southern California that is a teacher. I wonder if that's her. Um, um, so I initially had a, a history credential and a PE credential, and those jobs are never ever posted. It's so annoying. Like, I don't know what it is about like history and PE teachers, they never retire. So I added a English credential. So now I have three. And that was the only way that I was able to get hired was that they were like, oh, we can make you teach everything. Cool, come on board. So um, sometimes adding an extra credential makes you stand out, especially at like a middle school because scheduling is is tricky for the like for the counselors to make sure that they've got enough sections of everything. Um, so if you also like are able to teach math or able to teach history or science or something, they really like to see that just because they can exploit you. So yeah. you know, they, they like seeing that. Um, and then just go on EdJoin and stay on EdJoin like all day. This is the time. Like, I don't know if people understand this, but this is the time to get hired. This is it. Like after August, no more job openings are going to be there. Yeah. So spend your summer searching for jobs. Me and my husband have been doing that for the last like seven years. This is like the first summer that I haven't been searching for a job. So you put in yeah. all your time right now because it's it's not going to be there later. So yeah, and and if you so I would say even though I don't live in Southern California, I live in Southern New Jersey, which is just as majestic. I, what's that? I thought you were in Pennsylvania, but are you in New Jersey? No, so I teach in Philly, but I literally like you can see the bridge from out my front window that goes to cool. Philly and it's infinitely cheaper and it literally takes me less time to get to work than most of my colleagues because oh, cool. I am all highway. Um One so of I would say like New Jersey Go ahead. Passaic. I don't know if you know where that is. Like Passaic. It's in oh, Jersey, yeah. I think. Yeah, I know where that is. It's okay. like middle so North Jersey and South Jersey might as well be two different states. Like it's okay. just, yeah, when you look at you guys, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, but if you don't get a job right away, I would suggest starting to like volunteer at a school that maybe like you think a position might open up or that you'd like to see yourself at in the future. Yeah, because I, you can get paid to volunteer by substituting. <laughs> yeah, well, you could do, yeah. And substituting is another really great idea because Knowing people is everything. Like my current job that I got, I walked in, I was getting an interview and I knew, I didn't even, I didn't know that I knew anyone there. And I ended up knowing three people that taught at the school. And I know that that led in yeah. part to me getting the job or at least me getting yeah. a second interview. Yeah. And so make sure that you're like, people know who you are because sometimes like my, my resume is not that cool. It's not that interesting. Everyone's um, similar. So it's hard to stand out on a resume, huh? Yeah, and I was, I, I'm a community college guy and then I went to a state school. And so I would like go in for interviews and I'd find out like somebody else. So one job, the only job that I never got called back on for uh, an interview, I got beat out by someone that had their undergrad from Harvard and their uh, master's degree from UPenn. And I was like, well, I went to Camden County College. Come on, man. Like, let's hook it up. Which I actually see someone in the comments real quick I want to call attention to. Christy C. 
teaches at Winslow. I did my student teaching at Winslow Township High School with Mr. Zakaria um, years and years ago, and it was the best experience I could have hoped for. Um, so next question is someone else's name that I'm going to mess up. Sierra Wilmot? I think that was actually pretty easy. But she said, first year teaching and will be in a Title I school, fifth grade reading and writing. Have you found that it's a what have you found is important to do on the first day? Uh, what what would you do? Because I feel like my answer is slightly weird. So. Um, I feel like I've changed my first day gimmick every year. What I'm yeah. going to do this year and what I might suggest for a fifth grade class in a Title I school is I'm going to do a restorative circle or a community circle on the very first day. So... It generally seems like, uh, so I'm not sure with fifth grade, but um, like our periods are kind of short on the first day. And so I really only have the kids for maybe like 20 minutes, like each class of kids for like 20 minutes. So what I'm going to do is have them come in and there are going to be no desks. So they won't, you know, they usually come in like, where am I going to sit? Where am I going to sit? So yeah. it's just going to be a circle and um, we'll sit in a circle. And then we, I play this game called the wind blows. And so this kind of helps them to get to know each other. And so I'll say like the wind blows if you're wearing white sneakers and then everybody that's doing that gets up and shuffles around. Um, and then you can get a little bit like deeper as you go, like the wind blows if you were really nervous to come to school today. And then those people get up and you see like, oh, other people are nervous. Um, yeah. Or the wind blows if um, you have more than two brothers and sisters or whatever. And so then the people that they were sitting next to when they came in, they're probably not sitting next to anymore. They had to shuffle a little bit and um, they got to know each other a little bit. And then I'll have questions that we all go around and answer. And I have a little like talking piece. I have a little Ninja Turtle um, stuffed animal thing, Leonardo. And so everyone's like, Leonardo, I want Leonardo. You can only talk if you have Leonardo. And I'll ask, you know, just kind of simple questions for them to get to know each other. So I think I'm going to do that on the first day and not even get into my rules and procedures until like the second or third day. Like I want to establish some community and some trust first. So I don't know if, yeah. if that's doable in a fifth grade class, but I'm going to try that. I think that's a really great idea. And I, and I, I mirror that in a sense where I don't go over any policies, procedures, rules of the classroom, anything like that when on the first day. I feel like kids are genuinely or generally – um, inundated with that stuff from every teacher yeah. telling them kind of the same stuff. And so yeah. my first two days are the first day my students write a letter to themselves to their uh, telling, just saying like, this is what I'm into. This is my favorite song, my best friend, where I live, how many people live with me, what part of the city I live in, what I'm excited about in high school, what I'm terrified of about high school. Uh, and at least they're one situation. Right. They're, they're ninth graders. That's their first year. This is ninth graders coming okay. in first day of high school. Most of them graders. don't know each other. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. and so, um, and at least one situation in their life that they're not sure how it's going to pan out yet. Right. So maybe they're trying out for the football team. They don't know if they made it. Maybe their mom's pregnant and they don't know if she's going to uh, have a boy or a girl yet. And they're, they're excited about that. Or maybe there's trouble somewhere. Maybe like your grandmom is very sick and you're not sure what's going to happen. And I put those letters in an envelope. I seal them and I put their name on it and I don't give them back to them until they graduate from high school. And the night of graduation, I show up at graduation. I give them back to them. And it's a mind blower every single year. And it's my favorite thing to do in the beginning of the year. And then the second day, 
I still don't talk about rules yet. I talk about how excited I am to be there. Like I'm so, I love my job. I've been doing it for a long time. I'm so thrilled that you're in my class. I want to have the greatest year that you've ever had in English ever. And then I tell them about how I plan on doing that and how I've done it in the past. And what I find is that, you know, and I don't mean to down other teachers. So this isn't to like go against what everyone else is doing, but in a school where like maybe you are getting a lot of rules, I want to, I want to shift your focus because I feel like if you're in my eighth period class, which is the last period of the day, you might be like done listening to the same crap as you did. Like how many times you can go to the bathroom, what color your pens are allowed to be. Um, Don't, talk without raising your hand and instead I want to create a space where like the kids are getting really pumped about what we're going to do that year and then on that third day is when I start like saying all right here's how this is all going to work out like you know homework rules and all that kind of stuff where your papers go when you bring them in and all that yes. and I, I just feel like it builds a that are very important to cover and then it's like I still struggle with that yeah. a little bit like when do I need to do that but one thing that I am continually surprised about even though this is this will be my like fifth or sixth year of teaching, I never remember now, that I'm going into next year. Um, it takes forever to get to content. Like if you feel like you're taking forever, so am I. <laughs> like I yeah. have to go over so many things at the beginning. Like we do team building. We like make some um, things that we put up in the room so that it feels like theirs. We do some sample writing so I can get a sense of who they are and where they're at with their writing. Um, we have to go over, yeah, where you turn in papers, um, the syllabus, what things are worth, how to access your grades online. That's super important for sixth graders. They've never done that before. How to email me, literally how to go to your email and open it and not write in all caps and yell at me that I lost your paper. Like example emails, like there's so much to cover before we get to any content. Two weeks minimum, I would say. Yeah. And it's really important. And the funny thing is, is like, it's not the only time you do it. Like I have to, I have to remind ninth graders how to email me all the time. Or like when you email me, if you use your personal email, which you shouldn't, I don't know who sexy daddy 93 is. So you got to leave a little description about who you are so I can remember. And so, um, it's, it's like the same stuff all year. And it's funny by the time I get to March, I feel like I'm on a roll. And then before I know it, school's over and I'm like, wait a minute, we just, we're like, we just got started on, on some of this stuff. So it totally goes there. Uh, genuine teaching asked, um, I've always thought of teaching high school or middle school one day. What would you say is the most difficult thing about teaching older kids? Hmm. I've never taught younger kids, so I don't know what a comparison yeah. is, but I can think of a difficult thing. attitude. I guess. I, that's what I'm thinking. Attitude stands out to me and not, I mean, I assume this happens with younger kids also, but like, uh, in ninth grade, everyone wants to like prove themselves all of a sudden. And so I teach in a school where there are literally, we have like almost no fights and the fights that we have are like the worst fights anyone yeah. ever saw. It's like typically, it usually looks something like, someone sucker punching someone else and then like hiding behind a friend and acting like, Oh, you're lucky. You're lucky. He's in front of me. Otherwise it'd be over. And, and you're just like, bro, this, that was the saddest crap I ever saw in my life. So, um, the ninth graders are the, typically the only ones that end up fighting. And it's all about this posturing and how are other people going to perceive me and how do I look? And 
I'd say that's the most difficult thing, but it really, really creates a lot of space to be able to talk about things, talk about who you are, how you can convey that information in other ways, um, not caring what other people think, but really not caring, uh, instead of like just saying, I don't care what anyone thinks. And it's like, you obviously do because you fix your hair. I would say that's the thing with like middle school girls is, I don't know how to deal with this. Like they come up to you and they're like, she's been saying this about me. And I'm like, okay, is that true? No. So then why do you care? <laughs> like, like, I don't ever really know how to deal with that. Cause I'm, I'm like, okay, ignore her. And, but she's telling people this and then he thinks this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I, I'm not a very good counselor sometimes with stuff like that. I'm like, just ignore them. But they don't have like the like self assurance yet. Um, you know, to just ignore it. Like, I don't care. Like someone leaves a mean comment on a YouTube video. I'm like, whatever, you're dumb. Like, I don't care. So, yeah. but they care a lot. They really care what people think. They really care what you think. Um, yeah. so I think you just have to be overly like aff affirming and just like yeah. make them feel really cool all the time. And yeah, I guess kind of like the bullying stuff, like trying to know how to deal with that. I really struggle with that because there's a lot of things I think kids whine about and say that it's bullying. And I'm like, no, you have a conflict. You two don't like each other. That's not yeah. bullying. Like figure out a way to move past it. But then there are other situations where kids are genuinely getting bullied. And I would hate for them to say like, I tried to tell Mrs. Forbes and she said, get over it. And I sometimes don't know where that line is. And so like, I don't know that that's something that I'm continually working on. And I think is, big in middle school. I don't know how much in high school too, maybe. It is. We do. So teaching all boys, no, it, very rarely will someone admit to getting bullied. And I think yeah. it's really the teacher's job to just have their radar up. Like every single day I'm in my hallway, right outside of my door in between classes every day. And I'm just paying attention. I mean, I'm talking to people and I'm shaking hands, but I'm keeping an eye on, on folks because uh, I might be able to spot it before anyone else. And then if someone did come to me and say like, I'm having a problem with this person, a lot of times I'll go and talk to that other kid and see what's what, if I feel like it's, it's called for, but then always following up with those students as well. So saying like, Hey, what's going on with this situation? Is that still an, a problem? Because sometimes, I mean, this sounds so awful, but I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before. Teenagers are so much like puppies. It's like one minute they're like scared of you because you yell at them because they ate out the garbage. And then like 10 seconds later, they're like, oh, there was no problem. We're best friends now. And you're like, all right, awesome. But uh, I think it does take a lot of us like reassuring them and affirming them, but also modeling what that looks like. Or sometimes I'll share like when I was in ninth grade, I hear you, man. When I was in ninth grade, this happened to me and it was awful. But as I grew, I learned like to become more confident and this is how I got more confident. And if you are confident, you can really care less what anybody else thinks. Um, and, or maybe sometimes there is, there are certain things like for the most part, I don't care. But like if someone says something about this, it really still kind of hurts my feelings, like even as a grown up. And I think that goes a long way because you're like modeling that for kids yeah. in a way that they might not be getting other places. No, so. no. I, one thing that I am going to try next year is in our restorative circles training. Some people may have done that. I don't know. It's a PD. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good, but they, they gave us these little cards 
it's like a business card and it's called nonviolent communication which like it's kind of an annoying name because i'm like really and all other kind of communication is violent this is probably violent yeah. right now i'm talking yeah. but um <laughs> It's like questions to ask kids and it's super like scripted. So it's like, what happened? Like who was hurt in this? What could you have done instead? Whatever. So I put it in my wallet and I'm trying to like learn how to talk that way. Just like all the time. And I'm just going to start with the cards. I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm not very good at this counseling thing. I would just tell you to get over it. So I'm going to try something. I'm going to try this little card and yep. like, Sit down and ask the kids the questions and gonna try that more next year and try and become like more sensitive because sometimes yeah well sometimes i think what happens though, when you start doing that you start figuring out your own way or you figure out what works and what doesn't work and uh i don't i have a script but it's like my own script what's that i just say bury your feelings come on so it's like good for me to go through it too so i'm like okay okay i can learn from you guys yeah, I, I find that like I have the same questions that I ask everyone and I tell kids like when they don't want to tell me what's going on, I, I always tell them I will find out what's going on. I'm in five questions or less. I will be able to find out what's going on and you and then I won't be able to get you to stop. So let's just jump right to it instead of like you pretending not, nothing's going on. I'm not sad. You're crying in class for no reason. I can't figure it out. Yeah, yeah. but there's no, I was just crying. There's nothing wrong. And it's like, bro, come on. We got to figure this out because mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, you're just going to be a mess for the rest of the day. Um, TIC life. Yeah. In middle and high school, that's something you have to deal with. And there's a lot of books and stuff you can read about that just to like understand some of the psychology sometimes. And, you know, like the prefrontal cortex isn't, fully developed or whatever and the emotions that they feel are so much more heightened than the emotions that we feel oh sure it's never stronger than when you're like 15 i think is like the peak and so if you yeah. tell a 15 year old you just have to remember like someone saying you suck is here and for me it's like you're here so you have to like validate their feelings but also teach them how to move through difficult situations yeah. so. well i think Oh, adults forget that sometimes too, right? You just think that it's silly, but you forget that like as an adult, you have scar tissue, right? And the kids just have like, their hurt is like right under the skin, the, the slightest scratch and they're like going to bleed. And scar tissue is so much tougher than that. And when you're older, like it's the same reason that like if a 14 year old breaks up with their girlfriend, they're going to be crushed and crying for like weeks on end and annoying all their friends. If you have a friend that's 40, it's probably not as big of a deal if they break up with their girlfriend. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, you know, um, so I just think that that's like uh, a life skill and, and kids will get there, but we have to help them to kind of navigate those waters. Um, TIC Life asked, are there any websites that you use to integrate technology that help make your topics and content relevant? That's a really good question. Um, do you use particular websites? I mean, you mentioned the one already, but. My two very favorites, and hi, TIC Life, I follow you on Instagram and YouTube. Um, <laughs> my two very, very favorite, and I'm not sure what you teach, but I think these are relevant to anything. Um, Newzella.com is one of my faves, and that has current news. And so, you know, you can use it for, like, reading informational text if you teach English, or you can search for certain, um, you know, like, science news or um, technology news or 
whatever if you teach something else but it levels all of the articles so they re a, a human rewrites everything at a different reading level so it's not just a computer but maybe there's like I think there's like seven different reading levels so your students can all read the same article at their level and nobody has to know who is reading something lower and who's like you know college reading level already nobody has to know um, and then you can all discuss the same topic you know like at yeah. their level of understanding so I love Newzella and then the other one is vocabulary I am obsessed with vocabulary they are like my people oh so they have content like every single kind of content and they make um, rap songs about everything and then they also do current news too so they do the weekend rap and they have tons of content videos and they come with worksheets and assessments and everything and it is just like the coolest thing in the world it's $12 a month and I've been paying it for like five years because I love it I like gladly give them my money and that's awesome um, I think I probably use so uh, I don't always have access to computers at my school which is an issue and so yeah. but when I do uh, or even just for me to like print stuff out or find things on and then bring it to class I like, uh, for my guys that read on grade level, if they're on ninth grade reading level, I use the New York Times website a lot. They have lesson plans on there. There's a whole site for teachers. They connect some of their articles with like news stories that they pull out on YouTube or that they've had on their New York Times viewer uh, on like video series. And they'll give you questions. They'll give you topic ideas to talk about. And it's really fun because a lot of studies show that Boys like um, they gravitate towards things like newspaper articles and stuff. They they don't like non they don't like fiction. They like, like straightforward, yeah, real world stuff. And for guys that are a little bit lower on reading level, USA Today uh, doesn't have as many resources, but they their reading level is about a sixth grade reading level. Their vocabulary, um, so I pull a lot of stuff from there also, and it just takes. So if something big happens in the news and I know the kids are going to be talking about it, I'll quickly that morning, like maybe I saw someone left a comment like this earlier. I'll throw my lesson out the window, look something up on NewYorkTimes.com. And then, you know, you can do a lot of stuff with that. Like you're reading, you're writing, you're talking about things, you're yeah. comparing two different types of media. So you're looking at a writing piece and then uh, you're so reading something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, you're knocking stuff out in, in yeah. a day and it's, and it's great because it's like from a, you know, what, what I think of as a trusted news source also. And it's to, it's like just came out and they're really quick about getting that content out. So it makes it really fun. Are those fun. free or do you have a subscription? It's So those are all free. Um, okay. to, to use the, all the student stuff is free. And then my school pays for a subscription to the New York Times because I I'm, I'm, can't be certain about this, but I'm fairly certain that they have um, like a special deal for educators. Like yeah. the, you get, uh, it's like less money if you have like a subscription for educators and stuff. Yeah. So, okay. I'll have to yeah. ask about that. Yeah. Um, the Bruin teacher, who's one of my new favorite commenters on YouTube, uh, asked, I know her what? Too. like, I know we like go way back. I Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I just, so I've been talking to her online just recently oh, and uh, she's really sweet. And I've really been enjoying answering her questions. Cause she's, I'm like, you, you must be trying to be good if you're answering, like answering and asking questions in July. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. She is like so, the hardest person 
worker ever. You should have seen her first year schedule. She ha she taught eight different preps. She taught at a charter school that just worked her to the bone while no she way. was getting her um, credential. Yeah. So we've like written letters because <laughs> I was trying to like keep her from breaking down and crying every day because it was it was such a hard job. She's yeah. like, good job, good job. <laughs> yeah, and if you can stick through that, I mean, um, it's it's amazing. It's like it just makes you better. It, it can make you better or it can make you burn out depending on what she's untouchable of. now because she's made it through that nothing can take her down ever now <laughs> awesome so she asked what is the consequence you would give to a student for name calling another student um you know that goes back to kind of what we were talking about and do you, do you have an answer for this i i have an answer but i want to see it, what would you do ugh, it depends on the name and a lot of times, like if a kid's gonna do that in my class, if you wanted to yell out like an inappropriate name, like if, okay, let's say you wanted to call a kid gay or something, yeah. great, we're gonna talk about it right now. How come you said that? What was your thinking behind it? Why? And they're usually they're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I didn't mean it. So why did you say it? So like a lot of, this, this is why I need to do the nonviolent communication apparently, because I, like, I will kind of get in their face. If, they, if they're gonna say something mean to somebody else, Back it up, stand behind it. What, what were you trying to say to somebody? So just because I don't want that in my class and I want you to think twice before you put someone else down because you're gonna have to answer for it. So I kind of, it's not so much a consequence, but a process. You're gonna have to explain all of your thoughts then. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point because you're, you're calling them out on actually what they did right then and I think uh, one of the ways that I'll do something very similar to that is I just ask dudes to step in the hallway and I'll say like, you're not in trouble. I want you to just step in the hallway, but now we're going to have a conversation and there's no audience around. So this is going to be a very real one-on-one -on -one conversation and I keep it real with my guys. I never like pander or I don't pretend that they're really fragile young people. And, and I mean that not to sound like, like a total hard ass, but like, uh, I, I gauge the kids. I can, I can generally feel what kind of individual I'm talking to. So that makes it a little bit easier to do that, but I don't do, so I use a lot of jokes in my class. I tease kids all the time about stuff. I am um, in a way to like, just keep it fun. And I mm -hmm. use humor as a way to deal with classroom management stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was saying to someone the other day, like, uh, if I'm standing in the hallway and someone's running late, if I just keep saying like, uh, you're running, you know, you better hurry up. You better get to class. You're going to be late. No one cares if I say that. But if I bring out a microphone and I hold it up to them, I go, hey, what's it like? I'm just wondering, what's it like to be late every single day? They're just like, oh my God, Reynolds, stop talking to me. And they run the class, right? Yeah. So I don't do lazy jokes as my thing, right? So the consequences can look different, but it always depends on the kid. Right. My consequences are rarely very similar um, because were, were you joking around first? Um, are you tough enough to be able to take that? And I and I think you are like you're confident you're on the football team. You are. Everyone knows who you are. Everyone likes you. If someone calls you a name, it's like, I don't I don't know if I'm going to deal with that. But if you don't look like the kind of if you're generally quiet, if you keep to yourself, if you're pretty meek and someone's just trying to like pick on you because you're easy that stuff doesn't fly in my class because it's, it's lazy. And so, and what I mean by that is like, if someone makes fun of someone 
because they're fat or because they are uh, small or they're too tall or their shoes are too big. It's like stuff so lazy. And so a lot of times I'll go to kids and say, you're totally being lazy. Like even your jokes are the laziest thing I ever heard. Mm-hmm. And that that stops kids in their tracks a little bit more than like me just reprimanding them because that I think it makes you take a step back and think like, yeah, that's like, what are we in third grade? Like that's the kind of jokes that we're going to make. And so, but everything, everything, everything always goes to a conversation. It's always a conversation. It's never like a one-off. I'm going to waste some of your time. If if you're going to talk like that, you're going to have to sit and talk to me about this and you're going to be after class or stepping outside or whatever. But yeah, we're going to, we're going to be discussed. Why, why are you acting like this? Who are yeah. Who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah. And I, that works tons. It's it's really surprising how much it works. I've found um, more and more like reprimanding is useless. Like lecturing is useless. None of that works ever. <laughs> so you have to have, they need to be the ones talking. I know that. I know not to call people names, but I you have to get them talking about it. They're not going to. Yeah going in one ear and out the other if I lecture them on being nice so yeah or they just stare at you and you're like dude I can see I can see the glazed look nothing's happening right now so yeah conversation is a must uh elementary dear miss elementary my dear Wilson said asked where do you draw strength from when you are weary from life and teaching how do you maintain your confidence in yourself and your ability to teach that is an awesome question uh what is, what, what do you do? I mean, like, is there a certain practice that you have or, or what's your take on that? Well, it, it's very, very helpful that my husband is a teacher. And so I can come home and um, we both kind of get to like dump our day on each other a little bit and we understand and like, you know, there's certain names that I know of, of his kids and certain names that he knows of mine. And yeah. Um, it's, it's just nice to have wise people to talk to about those kinds of things. My husband always has really great wisdom for me and, you know, ways to deal with things. So that helps me a lot. I also have other like teacher friends that, um, I can kind of like share my frustrations with. And, um, sometimes that's all you really wanted to do was just share your frustration a little bit and they don't really have a solution for you, but they just encourage you a little bit or kind of joke around with you a little bit. And on the... Instagram and YouTube community, there are tons of teachers that are like ready yeah. to encourage the heck out of you any second that you need it. So make either teacher friends in real life or, or online, you know. <laughs> yeah, online. I would say the same exact thing. I think it's everything that happens in school. If I, if I have a community around me that's really, really listening to me or cares or on a prep, I can just go up and say, oh, I'm going to pull my hair out. This dude is doing this again, or this happened with my projector or like my lesson plan fell apart or whatever it is. Having friends just helps everything because yeah, you're right. Like sometimes you just need to vent. Sometimes you do need advice. And I've, a lot of questions that I get from folks are like through social, what am I thinking of? Social, social media. Is that they don't know what to do because they don't have friends at school or they are meek. And I think social media is like the place I've met people through YouTube in the, just these, like not even a year of doing YouTube 
mm-hmm. that have been phenomenal. Like, I feel like they're oh. such great friends and I could literally like call some of them up and say, Hey, I have this going on. It's driving me nuts or send them an email or a text. And it's like the greatest thing when you get a response back. So that's something that's like my absolute go-to is creating a community around you that you're making sure you're touching base with all the time. Because as a teacher, we very often just stay in our classrooms and never ever leave. And so to be able to step out, touch base with someone can really like change your day in a moment and is really super useful. My parents are both teachers also. So I just have like lots of people around me to draw from. So that's, that's just so helpful to have people that have gone before you that are more experienced than you that you can kind of complain to a little bit and then they can help you out. So I like that. Cause you know what? I don't think anyone understands teachers like teachers. It's like complaining about parenthood to someone that doesn't have children. Right. And they might be really wonderful people, but there's just a special sort of understanding that, that comes along. Well, people went to school. So they think they know teaching, like they were in school until they were a senior. So they're like, they think they know your job because they had teachers, but yeah. It's very different. <laughs> it's a different animal. Um, make my liver quiver. You and you and the name of the night uh, asked, how do you get kids to focus on curriculum when they know when you know they have crappy home lives? Or how do you focus on curriculum when you know about stuff? Um, that's a really good question. And I think, I mean, you were saying also that you've had like, th- this school is a little bit different, but maybe not so different in that respect. I'm not sure. Um, what do you do with that? Like, so what's your, what's like your tactic if you know something's going on at home or if someone has a crappy home life? Well, this is probably kind of like cliche, but I just think that education is the way out of whatever you're in. So, you know, if, if you've got something going on at home that I know about, I want you to be able to read. <laughs> I want you to be able to write so that, you know, you're going to do well in the next grade and you're going to be able to go to college. And I I want to equip you because that's what I feel like is usually the best way to handle a bad home life is not to be dependent forever on maybe your family if they're not dependable. So I just always want to give kids those skills. And I, and I try to like communicate that to them that, yeah. We are working hard on this and I want you to have these skills because I want you to be able to do anything you want in life and not have anything holding you back. And so a lot of times they're kind of looking for an excuse to, to not think about what's going on at home. Like they, they want to be distracted. So I don't find it too difficult, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I definitely use that idea of like, this is, this is the way out. Right. And so one of the ways that I do that is like just painting a picture of my own life and like what that looked like and without trying to compare, like I'm not trying to compare stories or say whose life was worse, but this was my life. This is what I did with it. This was what I was able to achieve and trying to get kids to understand, you know, so I went, um, several months ago, there's a guy, uh, who's on YouTube, his name's Gary Vaynerchuk. And so Gary Vaynerchuk invited me and nine of my students to go up to New York City and we met with him in his office. And one of my students asked him that. Now, this guy's like a multimillionaire, like he's successful, all kinds of stuff. And one of my guys asked him and he said, the problem is that I haven't figured out how to get people to understand is that no one cares. Like when you get, when you're an adult, 
most people are just aren't going to care what your story was. And so trying to get over that and move on with your life is really important. And that's a, that's a hard sell for kids. So the way that I try to help them to move around that and start thinking a little bit differently is like letting them know that I, for one, am extremely excited that they're in my classroom that day. I'm so glad that they're there and I'll do anything in the world to help them grow, right? And so I think if you've not ever had that, then that's a, that's a big sell. But that they have to realize then that they have to put in the work. I can't do the work for them. And so I push that idea as well. But then I'm kind of relentless. Like if you ask for my help, guess what? I'm giving you my help. And when you stop caring and when it all feels like too much, I'm going to keep pushing you and keep bothering you until you actually do something. And sometimes I win that and sometimes I don't. Like I've had kids have transferred or have failed out or have just like given up and I, and I don't win that every happens. fight that will happen <laughs> yeah yeah which is and that can be really hard to deal with but if i can just get across to you that i actually care like when you come in my room this is a place where like i want you to just feel relaxed excited about school confident in who you and are and you know you that's right the here. best you can do sometimes is really try and just love kids where they are and then try and bring them up to where you want them to be or where they need to be and along those same lines, like sometimes it is difficult for them just to bridge that gap between like, how does what I'm doing in school have anything to do with, especially I would say in, I mean, title one schools, whatever, but schools where any community where kids don't see hard work paying off because that's a reality that some of them yeah. work so hard and it doesn't pay off and they don't have enough money still. And some of them, um, you know, my husband's able to really like give me this perspective, but some kids think because of what I look like, I could work as hard as I want. I could have all the degrees. And when I walk into a bank or a mortgage company, based on the color of my skin, all my hard work's not going to matter. They're not going to give me a job. They're not going to trust me. Yeah. So there are kids that do not trust the system in general. So an A means nothing to them. Like, so what I got an A in your class, how does that help me in life? Like yeah. our lights got turned off. So it's, it's very difficult sometimes to draw that connection to kids. But one thing that I always tell them that if, you know, if they're, when the stakes are not quite so high, but you know, sometimes they don't understand why I want things a certain way. Like I told, I told you to put your name here and it had to be this many pages and the yeah. you know page number goes right here. And, and this was made clear to you. And this is what I asked for and you didn't do it. And they're like, well, but close enough. How come you like took points off? And so I just always give them like a Starbucks analogy. I'm like, if you go to Starbucks and you tell them you wanted a grande iced mocha, blah, 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 and they get one of the things wrong, what are you going to do? If you said no whip and they put whip, what are you going to do? You're going to go tell them to fix it and they, they do a new one for you. Awesome. So, like, that's that's a great idea. Like, like, Starbucks it. So like, if you didn't do it right, you're going to fix it and do it over. Yes. And right. So sometimes that also helps you just like to make little analogies that remind them like, Sometimes you just have to do it perfect. Not everything has to be perfect, but certain yeah. things you do it perfect or not at all. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. And you know, one of the other things I want to point out that you just brought up was like, sometimes it's, you have to prove if I'm at, so I, again, I teach at a school. So if you've not heard me say this before, I teach at a school where uh, I'm a white male educator and most of my students are, are African-American. And so it takes time to build those relationships because if kids have known have not known someone like me before, it's it's like 
or when you teach like in the so-called inner city, like uh, there's a lot of turnaround. So teachers are there for a year or two and then they split because they go in to do something else or they couldn't hack it or whatever. And I have to convince the kids that I'm going to stick around, that I'm always going to be there, that 20 years from now, hopefully you'll come back to the school and I'm still sitting here and I'll still help you out if you need to. And I think it's so important that like, um, I just think there's a difference between like me teaching and if there was like a black male educator in my school, because I love that my boys, what, what, and, and if there's not a whole lot of black men teaching in my school, I try to bring people in to speak because I think it does a lot of good for whatever type of student you have to see someone that looks like them that's successful or someone that looks like them that's, that's living a life that they want to live because it's easier to see. It's reality now instead of like, here's this guy who looks nothing like me, who didn't come from my neighborhood or my circumstances. And it takes a lot more convincing from someone like me than if like someone from, if someone from West Philadelphia teaches in West Philadelphia, the kids are like, dude, you made it. Like it's, it's way, the reality snaps in a lot easier. And, and are there black it, male it, teachers at your school? Are what's there that? Are there a lot of black male teachers at your school? There are not. I could probably count on one hand. Um, and so we do have a pretty diverse group, though, which is what I'm really happy about, too. So, like, there's, okay. uh, like, Asian and white and black. And so we, um, which is kind of Asian also. But um, <laughs> so we do run the gamut, which is really, really special, too, because it's not like we all look the same. It's not a bunch of, like old white dudes that are teaching yeah. there it's it's a it's, i think it's very important, yeah, important to have um people of authority in your school that are of all different races different genders you know like in elementary school it is a lot of women and so yeah. i think that's one thing that helps a little bit with middle and high school is that there tends to be more men and i think that's just very important for all schools to yeah like have people in positions of power that are not all just white males. <laughs> yeah. To be diversity there. Even in the real world, I mean, your workplace is going to be, chances are it'll be very diverse and you want to get used to like working with different types of people. And I just think that that's a really special thing that we're able to offer. Mm -hmm. uh, what was, oh, so Rebecca Winslow asked, um, sorry, this is on my phone. It's all kind of weirdly <laughs> angled. I'm used, I used to teach for an hour, for an hour and 45 minute blocks. And this year I'm moving this to a school that will be a 60 minute class tips for making it effective. Oh my gosh. Hour and 45 minutes would be like my dream first of all, but, uh, I was thinking like, Oh, <laughs> send them out. After. I, I, I'm too long winded obviously. And so I like, uh, I, 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 yeah, I just like being in there. And so, um, so how long are your periods at your school? Or do you well, you teach? know, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat as Rebecca because last year our sixth grade English students, for some reason, they give every sixth grader two blocks of English just to like kind of lay that foundation for good reading and writing skills. So only sixth grade English teachers get their kids for two blocks. So I did have them for like an hour and forty five minutes last year. Wow. Um, and now I'm switching over to I think I only have one block of sixth grade English, and the next year I'm gonna have a couple sixth grade history and some sixth, eighth grade English. And so the history and English will be just like a, it's like a 48 minute block, I think. And that, that's all yeah. you get. 
So I think just having procedures, like things like taking roll and like passing out paper, that is such a time suck. <laughs> so you need yeah. to have procedures for like getting roll done quickly, um, getting your papers passed back um, or, you know, like new things passed out or like sharing things on Google Docs or however it is that you do things, collecting paper, like you need to just have procedures for things. And whenever people say this, I always feel pressure to have it like on the very first day of school and that might not happen. That's okay. But like yeah. figure it out throughout the year and figure out your procedures and hopefully things like just get quicker. I'm also like very, <laughs> like my students know yeah. that I'm just like, turn it in. Now we're moving on. Da, 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 da. So some kids are probably really freaked out by me, but I don't waste time. Like we have things yeah. to do and I don't want to waste a second of my teaching time. So I think like I set that tone of like, being a little bit spastic and so yeah. we just get stuff done yeah i and so I, I do very similar things where like when they come in and the bell rings like the so i have a pre-class on the board every day and i tell them like that means pre-class like you're doing that beforehand um i like that and i want to so jump nice. yeah i want to jump into it because i'm so pumped about and even if i'm not pumped like i think that 90 percent of teaching is acting so like oh. i'm so pumped about what we're doing today and I'm and I care so much about what happens to you like you know don't slack off in my class slack off math or something like that I don't know but like this is I this is the most important subject of the day what are we what are you doing this is gonna be awesome and that kind of mentality I think just really helps like put a sense of urgency in there and then just plan your day like my day is planned down to the minute and so pre-class takes 10 minutes and I know that and I write it on the board. You have 10 minutes to do this and then we're going to do this next thing and that's going to take five minutes and then we're going to do the main lesson. That's 20 minutes and I'll let them know like, all right, we're on the mark or we're falling far behind. We need to hustle this up or like change it up a little bit. And if I get done a little bit early, I'm, I'm cool with that because my guys go to school from eight to almost five o'clock on most days and it's like, if we have five minutes at the end of class and you get to just chill, like you won the lottery, like we got through it all and you, you win, that's your reward for the day. So I think just being really diligent about the amount of time that you have and like not allowing for like nonsense to happen in between, like this next class will be awesome. I need everyone to get their notebook out in the next 30 seconds and then just jumping into the next thing. And it improves your classroom management greatly. It when the yeah. time when kids mess around is transitions trend like you learn this in pe like this is from all my pe training and like when i used to run like sports camps and stuff but our yeah. biggest thing was transitions 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 when you're moving from one thing to the other when you're going from the locker room out to the field that is when kids get in trouble and it's the same exact thing in the classroom when you're collecting papers when you're passing out papers whatever that's when they get in trouble when they're busy working you don't have very many problems yeah. As long as you're keeping them so busy that they can't get in trouble, then you're also going to yeah. eliminate behavior problems. And sometimes it has to do with like just figuring out a creative way to deal with some of those things. So with my own kids, right? If I leave them to their own devices to get dressed, it takes forever. But if I go upstairs and I go, yo, man, I'll bet you can't get your pants on in six seconds. And they're like, oh, yeah, really? And then they try and get their pants on in Don't six seconds. Don't tell them tricks. Don't <laughs> my daughter's laughing. She's staring at me right now from uh, from the couch. Don't give away your but, secrets. 
that's uh that's how i just get them to like you know do it fast like who's uh who's got their shoes on oh no one i'll bet you can't get your shoes on in the next 10 seconds and then it becomes a race and then who won and whatever so you win life points or something i don't know um alex angles asked do you use read aloud books in your secondary classroom uh do you so in your i imagine your class your school now is a little bit different than the previous school but maybe not i don't know do you read aloud in class uh i'm still learning how to do this and i would welcome any advice the first year that i taught i did that book the k because i studied the virgin islands and it's like in the caribbean okay but um we read it aloud in class and i had like a cd or something i hated that so except that the person had a cool like island accent that was the only cool thing about it i could have done that though um so then the next year we did farewell to manzanar and um at that school no one was going to read at home like i that was just a, a useless expectation to have kids read at home because they just wouldn't and so then they would come to class and whatever i had planned wasn't going to happen so yeah. we did just read it out loud and then the school that i'm at now it is much more likely that the kids would read the book but we i only had a class set so i was like how are you gonna take these home and read them because that's the thing with secondary is that you need like 250 books if you're gonna like have kids take them home and read them so it, oh, there's so many struggles with it but um yeah this year i just kind of had we did a little bit of both like sometimes they would just sit and read a chapter and then like we would talk later or we would read out loud together and then they would do a worksheet. I'm, I'm still kind of trying to figure out the best way to do that. Cause it's, it's super time consuming. Yeah. I don't like that. It's so time consuming. Yeah. I, so the classes that I teach, um, either my kids are on grade level or they're far below grade level. So no one that reads below grade level wants to read aloud. Cause it's like, Mm-hmm. It's the worst and it's embarrassing. And now everyone knows that they can't read that well. And even though I try and remind kids that like, um, some people just don't read well aloud, right? Like I never liked, I read fine growing up, but I hated reading aloud. I would get nervous. I'd stumble over my words. It'd sound like I didn't know what I was doing. And so I do, um, I just, you have to figure out your, what works best for your class. So I think like trying a bunch of different stuff, for instance, um, Sometimes small groups work better. And if it's just like three guys sitting or, or girls, because maybe your school has them, um, <clears throat> they uh, having them sit in a small group works better. And they are just reading with one another. And, and you try and be strategic, like put a really good reader, someone who's low and someone who's in the middle. So it's not like two guys that read really well and someone who's like on a third grade reading level. And then they look like they don't know what they're doing also. Yeah. Or... Sometimes audiobooks work. Sometimes me reading in class really works much better because I'm uh, kind of modeling for them what it looks like to be a good reader. I read dynamically. Uh, sometimes I have kids read really silly. Like it's like today everyone has to read with a cowboy accent and that's just how we do it. And it goes way better because everyone's engaged. They think it's hilarious and they just go along with it more. Um for sure. That's, that's yeah. the best way. And I was in a, a professional development once a long time ago where the, I don't even remember who the person was, but they just said, kids are never too old to be read to. Like you, you think that they are, but they still love it and they still need it. They need 
to hear, like they might be able to understand the words, but they, they need that modeling of like how you do dialogue, how you yeah. pause, how you animate your voice. And so they're never too old to be read to. So just don't be afraid to read out loud to them sometimes. Yeah, they need practice as well, but you can do it sometimes and, and you go a lot faster and there's only 10 minutes left, finish it up yourself. And it's useful yeah. either way. I think the one other thing I, I want to add that I think I've learned over the last few years that's been really helpful is sometimes there are play versions of the novels that we read in class that almost exactly mirror the book, right? So like if we read Of Mice and Men, um, John Steinbeck wrote the play for Of Mice and Men also. So it's the same oh, dialogue, but it just, they take out all the descriptive language. So when we're in class, if someone, if we're in class and someone has to read three paragraphs on like what that field looked like and where the sun was, you're losing everyone. But if you can just jump to the dialogue, now I have four or five people reading. If they can, if I can walk around and direct them and say like this next part, you're going to read really excited or you're really mad and then stop them and go, that wasn't really mad. I need you to be really mad or um, that kind of stuff really works. And then when they go home, they have their regular book and they're reading that. And so it just, it sets it just sets it up for success more because you have more than one reader and yeah. you're reading like in dynamic ways that just makes it more exciting in the classroom. So yeah, that's a really good idea. Readers theater is always useful. There's a chapter in Farewell to Manzanar that is like an interrogator and and the dad. And so I just pair everybody up so they each have a partner and then they each have to read. They're either the interrogator or the dad. And then yeah. um, they love that. That's like their favorite chapter because they got to read it. They got to kind of act it out. I usually yep. say like, okay, who thinks they were the best team and wants to come up and do it in front of the class? And um, that's always something they really enjoy. It's It makes a huge difference if you have, if you set it up right, right? You can't just like pass it along to them. You have to be like, yeah. all right, this is gonna be awesome. This is how I need you to do this. And then I think that enthusiasm is contagious. Uh, Amanda Belker asked, how do you handle parent communication in secondary setting? Interested in other teachers' point of view. I hate parent communication. Parent communication. Oh, oh okay. It's, uh, what, what, how do you handle that? Do you like it? Does it bother you? I mean, uh, okay. When I was a new teacher, I was scared of it. I was, like, scared of parents, to be honest. I think a lot of new teachers are. I just assumed that they would, like, contradict everything I said and, um, like, I don't know. I just, just, I assumed the worst all the time. And yeah. that scared me out of ever really contacting parents. Um, another kind of hurdle that I usually have is like a language barrier. Um, most of my students now speak Chinese and their, their parents speak sometimes primarily Chinese and I don't at all. So that's always a, like, you know, I'm like, okay, I like kind of get, I have to like get myself pumped up to call a parent and then I'll call and I'll be like, oh shoot. Like I looked up their number. I like had my little thing planned out and then they don't speak English. Yeah. So uh, like a lot, it's just a lot of it's mental. You just have to like get yourself ready to do it. Um, I, it is probably the most important thing to do. That's really going to build relationships with, with the parents and then like give you more teeth with the kids if they're kind of afraid of you calling their parents, it's yeah. such an important thing. You just have to get over that like mental block. And this year, um, I have parents that are probably a little bit more involved than my parents have been in the past. And, but I, I still thought the worst, you know, I still assumed that they weren't gonna wanna hear from me. But um, my main behavior problem this year 
we gave all of our sixth graders Chromebooks and let them have them all the time. They take them home with them. They took them home over the summer and we put no restrictions on them whatsoever. Like we gave them this toy and then asked them to do work on it. I'm still a little peeved about this. But um, so the biggest problem was that they were playing games when they were supposed to be doing work. And so it, it's very hard to catch them doing that. And it was just like, ugh. and so then finally I was like, all right, I'm just going to start emailing parents. And so I like emailed a parent, like, I have to talk to your son all the time. I noticed that his grade is like a C when it could be an A because he's always playing games instead of doing what he's supposed to do. And I just like yeah. hit send. And they wrote back to me like, we are so sorry. We didn't know he's doing this. You know, it's in class. Like, Okay, good point. That's true. It's not like you knew this and you weren't trying to help. They're like, thank you for informing us. He's in big trouble. And I got a like apology email from the kid like five seconds later and his behavior was way better. And I just realized like, I need to at least assume the best in parents. Uh-oh, you froze. What's going on? Do you live in Arizona? What's going on here? <laughs> this is maybe the first step. There it is. Uh, you froze there for a second. Oh, um, okay. That's okay. I caught, I caught the gist of what you were saying. And I, and I would say, I think I don't like contacting parents because I feel like I lose something with the kid if I have to do that. And, and I, so I have ninth grade boys. And what I'm trying to do is like help them to grow into men. And, and one of the ways I do that is by having real conversations with them and trying to work it out between us without having to call your mom, right? And so I feel like I lose a little something if I have to call your mom because then they just come in like, like the kids are pissed off the next day or they can't believe I did it. And, and I don't really, I don't really care if you're pissed off, but that's just going to hamper your ability to learn in my class. And I'm not sure that's the real way to say that. But anyway, um, I just, I try to steer around that as much as I can. And then I let it be known, like if I have to call your mom, like, dude, this is how you're acting. And it's in such a childish way that I like, I have to call your mom that like, do I have to really call your mom? Or I'll say, um, let me, let me break this down for you. If I have to call your mom, this is exactly what I'm going to have to say. Like your child refused to do work. Do I need to make that phone call? And sometimes that's a really good reminder for them as to like, oh yeah, I guess what I'm doing is like ridiculous. And I don't want my mom to know that. So I should remedy that situation. So yeah. I rarely call home and that's largely why it's just because I want the guys to like take accountability for themselves. Like you're 14 or 15 years old now. Like we, let's start moving into that. And like um, two other little tips with that would be if, if I ever, cause sometimes the parents want to meet with me, you know, like they have a problem or, um, yeah, something's going on with their kid. And, and usually it's that they contact me, not that I contact them. And so then I make the, the yeah. student needs to be there. If we're having a meeting about you, you better be there. So that, you know, like if you're not getting your work done and that's the problem or you're misbehaving in class, you're the one <laughs> that needs to be yeah. coming up with solutions. So always have the kid in on the parent-teacher meeting. And then just one thing that I have to always remember is just to start with positive. And they tell you this all the time, but you get nervous in parent-teacher meetings. And um, a lot of times they schedule them like 10 minutes before class starts or like during, you know, where you have a short window of time. And I, I met with a parent um, this year and I, I felt like I just jumped right into the negative because we only had a few minutes and I needed to explain to her what was going on in class with her son. And it wasn't a good meeting. I could tell she was not happy at the end of it. I wasn't happy at the end of it. And I just sent her an email 
later that day because I just you like you just feel icky after a bad interaction and I just told her yeah. you know what I apologize sure. I tend to try and problem solve and I forget to to talk about the good things sometimes and I just want to tell you all the things I love about your kid and I think he's great and I was just disappointed in his behavior and I wanted him to do better and now we have like a yeah. great relationship me and that mom but if I hadn't like humbled myself and emailed her later and admitted that I was wrong then we would have had problems to come i saw her the other day riding her bike and it's a good thing that we weren't mad at each other <laughs> so you know yeah. that's that can be really tough I, I hear what you're saying especially if it's like sometimes i'll have a parent waiting for me when i walk in the door and it's like oh it's seven o'clock and there's a mom and i wanted to go make copies or like get ready for my day and it's like i'm not i need i like being like mentally prepared to walk in feel confident feel like like i'm excited to to move this forward yeah. and Right. Like that kind of stuff goes a long way and it really helps you when you go into those meetings. And if you get gypped out of that, you're like, crap. Um, so we're at an hour and 25. Um, you want to do two more? Yeah, oh yeah, we are. I, we could, I, I guarantee, I feel like I could sit here with you till, for like three hours. But um, do you want to do like two more questions, even though we have like 97 Sure. Okay, I see that Juju just said that Teach Like a Girl had an awesome video about parent communication. She did. I just watched it, and she reminded me about how, like, just starting with the positive is so important. That's kind of why I was thinking about it. So, yes, Teach Like a Girl has a good video on it right now. For sure. So if anyone has any questions on that, that's where you should go to check it out. Um, I'll say this. Before we go into these last couple questions, if you don't get your question picked, please leave it in the comment section below on YouTube, and I'll be sure to get back to it. And Megan, if you want to go in, like, I know people get weird about other people answering questions in their comment section. Like, please go in and answer oh, anything that was, like, addressed. So, yeah. Uh, so, a cool teacher. That's kind of a it's half your name. Uh, a cool teacher asked, how are you able to be friendly and humorous with your students without them getting too comfortable to the point where they think they are your friends and they no longer take you seriously? Man, I love this question. And I get it tons because I am totally friendly with a lot of my students and being able to draw that line is super important. Um, what's, how do you, how do you do this? What's your, what's your take on this? Cause I know relationships are important to you. I, I think I just don't really know any other way of teaching. It's, it's hard for me to, to be too robotic. And, and sometimes that's required in teaching um, that you do need to be a little bit robotic and not, you know, be too open. But um I don't know. I, that's just how I am. So that's just what I do. Yeah. But like, I'm an adult and like I have kids. Like, I don't, I don't think kids want to be my friend that much. <laughs> I, so that's funny because I think this happens to me a lot where I'll get the response from a student where they'll say like, I can't believe you would do that to me. Or I can't believe you would call my mom. Or I can't believe you gave me a zero on that. Like, I thought we were cool. Right. They won't say, I think we were friends. Okay. I thought we were cool. And my response, I mean, a lot of guys that come to me at my school, like don't have a lot of male role models. So like they, and and this sounds like, like maybe weird language, but like they try and pick up that kind of like energy where they can. Right. So like if they haven't had a lot of guys that have like cared about them or told them that they cared about them or looked out for them in their lives, they tend to gravitate towards Mm -hmm. you. And as soon as they do something, they're not supposed to like maybe 
they do make a lazy insult to someone else or they cheat or something happens and you call them out on it. It's like, wait a minute. We're not like, I thought we were cool. Don't even talk to me anymore. It's like, and sure. Yeah. I, I just that. won't talk to you anymore. That'll work. Like don't try to but do I, that. I, let, let them go through that. Cause I have had, this is another thing yeah. like middle or high school, um, especially like eighth grade girls. Sometimes they would do that to me. Um, there were even some eighth grade boys that would, yeah. Like you have to have some common sense too. Like you have to be able to read people a little bit. Like I can tell when a kid is trying to work me over. I can tell when a kid is like, Oh, I really like your outfit today, Mrs. Forbes. And I'm like, thanks. And then they're like, um, so I didn't get that done. And I'm not, and like, I know when they're trying to play me and so, and I just don't let it happen. Yeah. Like don't let, don't let them get too close that they're trying to manipulate you. Don't let them manipulate you. And, and if you do legitimately, like, hurt someone's feelings because they thought like that, I tell guys, like, no, man, our relationship is going to be 100% for real. Like, I'm never going to sugarcoat it. And that's what you do when you have a real relationship with people. You battle it out, and then your relationship becomes stronger, and you move on to the next thing. And so I care about you so much that I'm willing to call you on your, yeah. on your BS when you do it. And I think that that goes – a long way because it just I'm, I'm furthering the fact that I care about you and I'm like putting it right up in your face yeah. and I, I have well, no I problem like doing what I think is best. like that's kind of my my mo is like I'm gonna do what I think is best for you even if you don't like it even if it's hard like that's how I am as a parent and yep. it's like it's gonna be tough love sometimes and I'm cool with that <laughs> yeah but tough love guess what is love mm-hmm. so that, that's how it's gonna go down um fourth grade fab I love, people's names are like, they're endlessly amusing to you. It's just like, people just come up with cool stuff. So fourth grade fab said, what is your biggest suggestion with juggling home life, school, work life? I'm due with baby number two in November. Awesome. Congratulations to you. That's fantastic. Uh, so, I mean, you just had a child. What's How are you balancing that situation? That's new for you, right? Yeah, this was my first year teaching and being a mom. So my son is one. Now he just started walking. He's like a crazy man. He got yeah. hurt at daycare today. He bumped his head because he fell. I got my first, like, your child had an injury call. <laughs> one thing that I think, um, and maybe just like especially moms deal, it's not so much like the balance between work and home. Because like I go to work and while I'm at work, I'm a teacher. I, don't, I really don't think about my family or my home life much when I'm at work. Like I'm so in the zone that that's just all I do. And then when I get done, I come home and I do not bring anything home. I, I'm just there, but I think people deal with like kind of like guilt and stuff about being away from your kids or whatever. And let me just tell you, I don't have any guilt about that because um, I send my son to a really good daycare, freaking expensive, but it's really good. And I like the communal aspect of raising kids. Like I think about everything that, that I do as like being part of a community. So the kids or the the teachers, you know, that are helping me raise my son are experts in babies. They're they're early childhood education experts. I am not. This is the first time I've ever been around a baby. I don't I don't know anything about babies. I'm a Jensen expert. Yeah. I know my kid, but I welcome their help and I love that they're helping me to raise him. And I am a middle school expert and a history expert and a reading expert. So the people in my community send their kids to me and I help raise them. And so I don't feel guilt about sending him to daycare because I know that I'm supporting kids in my community and then my kid is getting supported and we're all helping each other out. 
So that's, that's cool with me. I think the thing that I have trouble balancing, and you might be experiencing this too, I feel like there's a bit of like a, a resurgence right now of like teachers on social media because it, it's summertime. And that's the harder thing for me to balance is social media and home and family because it never ends. Like you could be on Instagram constantly replying to comments, replying to messages, commenting on people, putting up more videos. And um, that's where I feel like I need to find a better balance and find a way to like cut it off sometimes because yeah. I've, I've been really um, active lately because it's just fun. But I'm, I'm noticing that like my kid fell down. <laughs> I need to go watch him. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. So that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I wouldn't have thought of that otherwise. And that's, that's a huge component of my life. I, when I'm at school, 100% at school. Before I had kids, I would go in at six in the morning and stay till six at night all the time. And it was because I loved it. It wasn't because like of any other reason. I didn't feel like bogged down or anything. It was like, no, man, I want to keep doing stuff. I love this. And I really think that one day when my kids are older, I'll go back to doing that. Like I'll, I'll stay later at school just because out of a love of doing it. Sometimes my wife has to call me when I'm at school and be like, dude, where are you? Like <laughs> dinner's already ready. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like kicking it with people in the hallway and talking to my students that never want to go home. Yeah. And, but at this point, my kids are seven and nine. They both still really love me. I come home, they like want to play with me and stuff. And while that's happening, I want to, I want to like, take all of that in that I can. And then when they're older and they have like their own interests and they're in the different stuff and like dad's not their primary focus when I come home, mm -hmm. then I'll go into doing yeah. more of that stuff. And so, um, so I don't ever bring work home ever unless it's like, there's like something very particular that's going on. Or I'm particularly behind so because of rare. something I don't bring anything home. And, and a lot of that comes from like, having taught for a while, like you just don't have to bring stuff home anymore. Like I, I have my procedures down and the YouTube thing is funny also because it's, uh, it's totally addicting. Like I love the comments. I love people asking me questions. What would I do about that? I mean, that's look, that's why I love this show is like, not so I can sit here and like say how great I am or like talk about my viewpoint, but I know that it's bringing value to someone that, and I wish that value existed when I first started yeah, teaching right. and to be able to have that conversation is like endlessly enjoyable. And, mm -hmm. and so I too have been putting out far more content this summer than I will be able to in the, during the school year, but it's just really fun. And, um, and, but it is figuring out like a balance and I'll, you know, so I just keep shifting like, yeah. all right. So today I'm not going to do that because I, my kids, look dirty and they probably need a bath or like, you know, we've been, we spent the day in the house yesterday because it was too hot. And like, now we're going to go out and do something and I'm just going to just be with my kids all day. So I think it's just about like constantly shifting your focus where it's needed and you're never going to be perfect at it, but like, don't beat yourself up about it. Like just keep shifting into what makes sense to you in, in that moment. So that's what I would go Good with. Um, this one last question Tommy, Tommy, I'm not going to say your name right. Tommy Good G one said was asking. I'm going into the ninth grade, so how many? So how would you say I should study, or what did what do you use in class? Uh, that's a good question. I talked to students about that today. I 
feel like students always tell me that they studied for a long time for something. And then I find out that they studied while they were texting their friends or on Snapchat or watching TV or doing something else. I always studied best if I just carved out a, in a certain amount of time. And I said this in a recent video somewhere where there's something, I'm pretty sure it's called Parkinson's Law. Parkinson's Law says that a task will take the amount of time that you give it. So we all know that if you have all day to clean up your house because you have company coming over that day, it will take you all day to clean up your house. Yeah. If you find out 20 minutes before someone's stopping by, they text you and say, hey, man, I was going to stop by. Your house magically gets cleaned up. Oh, enough in 20 okay. Minutes. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. And when you're on YouTube, you know, just this has to be clean and the rest <laughs> could look like a hot mess. But I think setting a timer and like really digging in and saying, I have 60 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes to do this. And this is what, this is how I'm going to study really, really helps because it focuses you super like laser focuses you on what you're doing and not worrying about like the hundred other things that you could be doing or that are going on around you. So cool. I read a good tip um, the other day um, in the Ron Clark book. Um, forget which one. Um, the molasses, molasses classes. And um, this was yeah. kind of his advice to parents, but maybe Tommy, if your parents are like down for this, um, he said sometimes just like going to a different place, like um, like going to Starbucks, you know, people go there and like get work done and you don't have the distractions of things at home. Um, if you're near like a university, I love going on college campuses and studying like you're allowed to be there. You can go there. So, you know, you could go yeah. to like, your college campus and go sit in their library and just like bring your chemistry book and work out your um problems and like the the energy is kind of different and so i think if, yeah. if it's possible to like change up your where you are that can be really helpful and kind of fun you know that's a really good point because i'd say that even like when i exercise exercising at home is a drag i gotta like make <laughs> myself do it if i go to the gym it's like this is what everyone's doing yeah. here you know it's like it's much easier to get into that and so yeah, like going somewhere else where everyone else is studying and putting in that time. It just makes it like, I don't know, it just shifts your focus in such a way that you're like, yeah, this is what everyone's doing. So I'm going to get down and do it also. It's a thing so. you do forever. Like when me and my husband need to do like budgeting things and we try and get it done at home, it never happens. We're like, okay, let's go to Starbucks. Like let's bring our little workbooks and okay, let's go to Starbucks. We'll get something to eat, something so that you kind of look forward to it and then we'll sit and knock it out yeah. there. But at home it just... Yeah, not so fun. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a drag because you because you see your dirty dishes yeah. or you see like yeah, that I'll like come up with any yeah. excuse to not work on our budget. Yeah. Oh my god, I need yeah. to. As soon as we're done this, we'll get on it. <laughs> yeah, nice, Megan. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you coming Can I throw on. Throw in one last question for you. Absolutely, go yeah. for it. Um, can you talk a little bit about your history of hip hop class because that oh, was oh, you, so you cool to me. I was like, history of hip hop, yes. Yes. So um, that's really funny. I did say I would bring that up. Um, History of Hip Hop came up when a few years ago I was asked to come up with an elective. Like our school had run, we're a very small school and we'd had the same electives for a while. And it was kind of like we were running out of stuff to offer the students that they'd be interested in. So it was put out to a few teachers to just come up with just about anything and the school would let you make an elective out of it. So a friend of mine has a uh, it's essentially the history of video games and he has a class on that and it's Whoa. super interesting. And I thought 
I just tried to think of something my kids are interested in, and the two things mainly are sports and hip-hop music. I have no interest in sports at all, and so... I, but I did grow up with hip hop, like so in the early '90s, like golden age of hip hop, Run DMC, uh, KRS One, Public Enemy, and I just thought it was something I already sort of implemented in my class. But what I tried to do was like learn as much about the history of hip hop as I could because I really felt like, and this has changed a little bit in recent history, but you know, if you listen to rock music. There's people that like classic rock. If you listen to jazz, there's people that like older jazz or people that like country music. They might say like, oh, yeah, but I like his older stuff or I, you know, I like the older stuff. There goes, there goes a child. Um, no one ever does that with hip hop. No one. And I think that's what's up, cute. I think that's because um, in hip hop music, it's all about what's fresh and what's new. And so if you go to a party this summer um, and they play a song from last summer. You're like, the kids always go, you know, this song's so old. And I'm yeah. like, this song's like six months old. What are you talking about? So I tried to like learn as much about that as I could. And then I just flipped it on the kids. And I ended up knowing far, I know more about hip hop than anyone in my school. And if any kids watching this, they'll tell you that I tell them that all the time. And I do because I, I learned it all. And then what I'm doing is like, it gives us such a way to talk about things like um, all the tenets of hip hop. So we learn about graffiti art and I have graffiti artists come into school and we go to different places in the city and study different types of graffiti art. We have oh, cool. DJs that come into the school. Yeah, it's awesome. We have DJs that come into the school and teach the kids like, this is how you scratch a record. Like, um, and cause everyone thinks they can do it. They're like, yo, yo, I could do it. Reynolds. I can do this. And I'm like, no, bro, you can't. So they learn how to do that. Or I've had, in the past, like African drummers come in and talk about the connection between hip hop music and African dance or African drumming, or uh, we'll talk about, uh, we talk about break dancing. I don't know anything about it, but like um, we'll break that sort of stuff down. And, and it's really just a way to take something. One of the things I push at, like I try to get new teachers to think about is, learning about what your students are already interested in and then really learning as much as you can about that so that you can teach through that lens. So the hip hop class lets me talk about current events um, and all kinds of cool stuff that they never saw coming. And it helps me to not like, I never try and be cool through it because I haven't been cool since like I was 18 years old. But um, I it does allow me to like... Uh, to like connect with the kids on a new level that they never would have seen and as coming. As an English before. teacher, it's such a brilliant form of communication, and so you can it teach is. so many literary devices. Like Eminem and Assonance go together perfectly. Like I, I use yeah. hip hop songs a lot in my teaching, and like we're really into hip hop over here. I, I have a suggestion yeah. for you. Um, Solid yeah. McKnight, I will suggest to everyone on YouTube, my husband's going to kill me. <laughs> that, uh, my husband has a hip-hop album, so that was like okay. when we met, um, that was like how he got me to date him, was that he was working on the album, so <laughs> nice. he has an album called um, Audio Therapy, and it's by Solid McKnight, so that's 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 my favorite, I have to say that's my favorite hip-hop album. Course. but I have others that I like do you have like a favorite that's you know kind of like your all-time like this is a perfect album for you 
favorite hip hop album, mm-hmm. uh, Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest. I could listen to like every day. And it's one of my albums that like, if I am having a hard day or if I want to get really pumped up before I go on the school, I'll just kills every time because I feel like it's so timeless. And, um, you know, hip hop changes so much and the way people rhyme and the way that they rap. And um, I just feel like that album is still really good because, you know, one of the things that we talk about, someone's asking me if I have my kids write raps. Um, I do. I don't grade them. It's more of like if you did it because I don't, I can't write, I can't write like my students do, but we do, they have to write like uh, a 1984 rap, right? Which is like Curtis Blow, like these are the breaks as opposed to (laughs) what did it look like when, when the, uh, when the Chronic album came out, like the way people rhymed was different. And then when Biggie came out with Hypnotize, that changed everything because he had all these internal rhymes that no one was doing on a large scale before then. And then when Kendrick Lamar came out and Eminem, well, Eminem first, Eminem like blew everything apart. And and became, in my opinion, like Eminem became like the greatest rapper of all time. And that changed everything because of what he even looked like. And Uh and the fact that he would like be making fun of Dr. Dre, which like no one makes fun of Dr. Dre. and then Kendrick you Lamar. Right, Gary, that's the only thing that I have against him. I'm like, dude, nobody messes yeah. around. And it's, <laughs> but then it all kind of comes full circle because then we had, so we went from like socially conscious hip hop to like, uh, and I realize I'm on a rant right now, but socially conscious yeah. hip hop to like talking like, about bling when like Puffy comes out and he's just talking about bling and boats and cars and diamonds. And then we get into like this kind of new strange, like there's like this, like mumble rap thing going on right now. We have like guys like little Uzi and then, but then while that's all going on, Kendrick Lamar comes out of nowhere and is popular and is talking about real topics or J Cole is talking about real things that are going on in society. And I just think it's funny how society like has these loops and music does also where like, I feel like we're starting to, to go back into hip hop music that I thought was interesting when I was younger. So. Finally, that's, that's like all me and my husband ever talk about. But my my favorite, like the album I think is perfect, is um, um, Lupe Fiasco, The Cool. Yeah, that is like I I think I know every word of that entire album. Like sometimes just to mess with me, my husband will turn on Gold Watch because I like cannot physically can't stop myself from doing that whole entire song. I love yeah. that song. Him and and Kendrick. You know what's funny is that Kendrick's from around here, like from where we live. Mm-hmm. where we used to live we used to live like really close to where he's from yeah. and my husband looks so much like him so i don't know how many times we got like followed and like asked for autographs yeah. people like every time he went to the gym people would be like i'm like trying to like snap pictures Dude, of him that's, <laughs> like, that's hilarious this one time i got followed for like two hours and i want to turn around and be like but it, yeah. well now he's got like the the braids so now he looks a little different but when he used to just have like the short hair and the hat and stuff but yeah so. my brother lives in ventura and oh. he runs in the chuck d all the time out there so I have to, at LAX, my husband was on a flight with him we got a picture yeah he's, i'm gonna get him to come to, i dm him all the time and i ask him to come to my school so one of these days i'm gonna have chuck d come to my class i know yeah, cool. um, yeah. so yeah awesome we well, have a was, like, selfie with him like this <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. So my wife is reminding me that um, this the student I have that does all of my YouTube music is this guy 
called, he goes by the name of Mad Squabbles. He's an old student of mine and his stuff is phenomenal. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. I'm very, very picky about my music. And most students that give me music, it's a little bit awkward because I'm not sure if I'm going to like it or not, but this dude has just been killing it and he's so good. Um, so yeah, he provides me with all my beats and all my music for all my YouTube videos. And, oh, and sweet. I use all my husband's stuff too. And now my nephew actually, he does it. So I, now I, I started using his stuff just to- That's like... awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. Megan, this has been a blast. I'm so glad that we did this and, and had this conversation. It's been awesome. I can't believe we've been on for like two hours right now. Um, yeah, it's still light where you are. It's like, you know, yeah. past bedtime where I am. Um, cool. And let me just say real quick that uh, I appreciate you coming on. Of course. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.